Conversations with Andrew and Phil. I am your co-host, Phil. And there's a famous quote by W.C. Fields that director James Mangold broke in, in reference to today's film. That he broke. And that was, that was never work with animals or children. <laughs> and James Mangold broke that rule because he worked with little Daphne Keene and a Wolverine. That is true. The, both of those things are true. <laughs> yes. In a, in a of manner course. of speaking. No, uh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't know if he worked with the Wolverine Wolverine, but we know he worked with the Wolverine. The Wolverine. Uh, I'm Andrew. I'm your other co-host. And uh, longtime listeners of the show know how weary I am of superhero movies. But I have to admit, that I didn't think that I would find myself tearing up in a superhero movie. But then again, I also didn't know that James Mangold would ever direct a superhero movie. So yeah, it was, it was an interesting experience for me, (laughs) but there were a lot of emotions going on. Yeah. A lot going on. And this is a director not known for making action movies. Not at all. Uh, I remember him. I remember when I saw Copland. Yes. When that was in theaters. That had some action, but it was not nearly on the same level as this. It's such a great movie, though. Um, we're talking today about Logan, the new Marvel film. Uh, before we get into the discussion, I want to tell you guys out there where you can find us on the web. Mm-hmm. You can go to our blog, which is found at www.in-the-q. That's the letter Q.com. You can also go to our Facebook page. Just search Facebook for In The Queue. Q-U-E-U-E is how it is spelled. On both those pages, you'll find all of our episodes. On our Facebook page, you'll find uh, other supplemental things we post, too. And on our Facebook page, we encourage you to leave comments. Excuse me. And also, Mm -hmm. listener requests for movies you would like us to review. And we will have you on the show with us to talk about the film. Uh, also, we have a Twitter account. It is at ITQ Podcast. Mm-hmm. And lastly, you can find us on iTunes or uh, podcast over podcast aggregate apps like Overcast or Podcast. And we also ask that if you're on iTunes and you listen to us, please write us a review. Tell us yeah. what you think. Uh, we would pr- prefer a favorable review, of course. <laughs> so if you don't like us, please don't tell us that. <laughs> just keep it to yourself. That's right. Um, but if you like us, to write about why you like us and uh, hopefully spread the word. Uh, so without further ado, we are talking today about Logan. Logan, what did you do? Charles, the world is not the same as it was. Mutants. They're gone now. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel. I focus on the pain, the only thing that's real. Where is she? Beneath the stain. She's like you. Of time. Very much like you. The feelings disappear. She needs our help. You are someone to come along. Someone has come along. 
I am still right here And you could have it all My empire of dirt I will let you down inappropriate sorry. <laughs> it's, setting, it's setting the stage it's setting the uh the tone of the film i think yeah very much and also the conclusion the film concludes with a johnny cash ballad it does indeed from, from his later in his career so yeah you get the whole kind of like elegaic feel to this film um this is this is the last time that Hugh Jackman is going to play Wolverine. I mean, we, we knew that going into the film. Mm-hmm. And uh, the story basically concerns uh, Wolverine has is living a, a lonely life as a, a chauffeur after the X-Men have disbanded around 2029. Uh, the mutant population has shrunk considerably, and he, he drinks a lot, and he just kind of lives like... the cl- He's the classic reluctant hero who just wants to be left alone and he gets <laughs> yeah. pulled into something bigger than himself um, he takes care of Professor X who isn't doing very well and uh, one day uh, a woman approaches Logan and asks him to drive this girl named Laura to the Canadian border and um, at first he says no but then later he realizes with the help of Professor X that this girl is not just an ordinary girl she is dun 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 his daughter and she's a mutant and she has extraordinary powers and uh basically the film uh consists of him finally accepting this uh responsibility to to care for laura and Mm -hmm. to take her up to the border and the sort of the adventurers or the the pursuit of uh of, of them by the villain who is uh, named Pierce, I believe, um, played by Boyd Holbrook. Indeed. Um, and uh, yeah, and it's a, I think elegiac, or it's probably pronounced elegiac. Elegiac. Elegiac is, I think this is an appropriate way to describe the tone of this movie because it's very somber. There's really not much in the way of humor at all in this movie. And it's, it's really brutally violent and, for the first time, I can recall a lot of the brutal violence is visited upon people who aren't are kind of uh, innocent. <laughs> In a manner <laughs> I mean, of speaking, I mean, they're kind of most of the people who receive the brunt of the violence are part. They're sort of the the faceless minions of the evildoers. They're faceless, and we see. Wolverine just tear through crowds of people, shoving his claws through their heads yeah. and, and whatnot. And um, I feel like, while the movie is edited like an action movie, mm-hmm. I had a hard time following some of the action. 
yeah. I thought that James Mangold was not the best in terms of maintaining proper screen direction during physical scenes. Uh, yeah. uh, I think too often, and this is not just a James Mangold problem. I've noticed this with other superhero movies too. Sure. Where you, it seems like the director says, okay, we need a shot of this. Now we need a shot of this. Now we need a shot of this. Here, editor, you just make it all work. Rather than yeah. do something like what James Cameron did with Terminator 2, for example, which is a movie that film my film professor and guest of the show, Gary Hawkins, <laughs> used to actually show us in class. He would show us clips from Terminator 2 and say, this is how you do action. This is an example of a good action scene. Yeah. The way screen direction is maintained over different shots and whatnot. And I kind of felt like... Um, there's such an oversaturation of images happening in, in, in movies. I feel like too many times the director's like, okay, they're just photographing the script. Like this person talks, let's have a shot of this person's face. Sure. This person is doing this. Let's have a shot of them doing this. And then they'll fix it together somehow rather than actually plan and choreograph shots that have a beginning, middle and end. They know what they're doing while they're doing, while they're shooting it and they know how it's going to turn out. There's more intention to it. Um, I just kind of felt like the action scenes in this were they were exciting to people because there was something happening. There's something going on. And I just felt like they, they weren't as like uh, as concise or clear to me. Yeah, I, I agree with that um, for the most part. I think that the it, it's been a habit in Hollywood for a very long time. I remember thinking that this was the case way back when Troy came out. Do you remember when Troy came out? Uh-huh. Wolfgang Peterson, who had previously in his career done some very excellent films with very excellently staged action. In the uh, line of fire. In the line boat. of fire. Yeah, exactly. Um, the Never Ending Story. The Never Ending Story? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so he, he, Air Force One, right? Yeah. Um, so he, he was no stranger to staging action very intelligently, but I remember watching Troy and being like, I don't understand anything that's happening. So this is, at this point now, like a 15-year-old problem or, or almost 15-year-old problem, mm-hmm. at least. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's distressing, and it does make it hard to follow stuff. I think that in this particular case, the argument that people will probably make is, well, it's Wolverine. Wolverine's like a, you know, he's a maniac. He's running around, he's slashing in every direction. He's a wild animal. You know, it, it makes sense that you can't tell what's going on because nobody who would be in that situation would be able to tell what's going on but I think that's a lazy way to explain away mm-hmm. uh, not really thinking through the action uh, really I think some well. people also who are experiencing the Marvel Universe and don't have the same background that you know uh, well-versed cinephiles as you and me have <laughs> sure it's almost like they don't know what they're missing they don't sure they don't know how good it can be uh, when they're when they're watching a film by somebody who does know what they're doing. I mean, you were one of the champions of Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. And and so many other people single that particular film out as being an example of somebody who really knows how to direct action. Yeah, and you can see it when watching Mad Max. It, Mad Max has the same cadence as a movie like Logan or any mm-hmm. other superhero movie. It's got the fast cuts. It's got the uh, the really, really... Uh, kinetic frenetic pace right but 
it does not ever not make sense. Every shot is set up to maintain your sense of uh, visual uh, spatial geography, basically. Right. You understand mm-hmm. where the characters are. You understand where the camera is. You understand where the enemies are. You know where everybody is in relation to each other at all times. And yeah. th- that film in particular, Mad Max Fury Road, is a clinic in how to make sure that every single shot, no matter how inconsequential, no matter how short, every single shot serves the purpose mm. of furthering that sense of place and position within the world. And it's it's really quite astonishing to, to watch. And in fact, there are a number of really excellent essays about the, uh, the spatial geography of Mad Max and how intelligent the camera placement is and how intelligent the framing is and, mm-hmm. uh, and the, and the action and how the action flows within the frame. Yeah. And it was storyboarded, which yeah. always helps. Oh yeah. And in, in fact, uh, the storyboards were begun in 1999, <laughs> yeah. so he's he's had lots of time to really ruminate about this. But <laughs> there was actually, for the most part, I was, I'd say, I, well, maybe at the most part, but for much of Logan, I was what's no, I was what's known as inside the story. I was watching sure. the film. I wasn't, I wasn't kind of put off by it, except for one part, and that's uh, in the first half uh when we when we are one of the early scenes with daphne keen who plays Mm -hmm. laura um and it's a shot where she's in some kind of a structure i think she's at xavier's pad Mm -hmm. and uh she's in there by herself and then these the bad guys come in yeah and it's just it cuts from a shot of her sitting there at the table looking at something and then there's a shot of uh the bad guys coming in through the door and it's not like a a major like they're storming in and it's obvious that she's going to know they're there and she has to run. They come in very quietly and they're kind of sneaking in because they want to take her by surprise. And then right after it cut from the shot of the door opening and them sneaking in and cut back to her, I was thinking, wait a minute, like where is everybody? Yeah. I I don't know what to feel. I don't feel anything because I don't know how close they are to her. They're not in the same shot. Sure. So how big is the space? How much, where does she have room to hide? Uh, or what are they going to trip over to make noise? Like, and it kept cutting back and forth between the two of them. And I, the space was still not defined yet. And I mean, like that is a great way to make, to build suspense. Like look at yeah. anything, look at Jurassic park, look at North by Northwest. When you've got the, villain and the hero so to speak in the same shot when you can actually see them together and they're in the same space mm-hmm. that is when you build emotional investment because it's it seems more real um uh, for the most part though i mean the film was i don't know i thought it was okay i it's funny because <laughs> the person i saw it with we both kind of agreed that it was just all right and it was lacking a little bit in humor i thought yeah. It's very serious and not much fun. Well, yeah, and I think that that is this is this has source material it's based off of. I think it's loosely based off the Old Man Logan comic books, uh, which are kind of a reimagining of the future of the mutant world, uh, mm-hmm. wherein the bad guys have won, 
in essence. Uh, they've suppressed the human, I mean, the, they've suppressed the mutant population and made sure that no more new mutants can be born. Um, this is all lore that I'm really into because, as I think I've explained <laughs> before on this podcast, I was a big X-Men fan and especially a big Wolverine fan growing up. Uh-huh. And uh, it's it's one of those revisitings of the material that intentionally takes a very, very sort of dour kind of very right. uh, bleak kind of outlook. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though there is certainly optimism in this film, I don't think there's any question about that. But, uh, you know, in the tradition of things like The Dark Knight Returns or The Watchmen, uh, I should say Watchmen, not The Watchmen, uh, <laughs> and uh, V for Vendetta, you know, th- these kind of, there was kind of a wave of these comic books that came around in the uh, late 80s. Old Man Logan's much more recent than that. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, it, it, it sort of became its own genre, right? Is like, take the core material and do a serious version of it. And that's uh, something that often happens when you're deep into the franchise, when you're sure. already invested with the characters and you and you you want to see them in these sad moments. And you can and you can see an attempt at that with the DC cinematic universe that's happening right now. I mean, uh, <laughs> Zack <laughs> Snyder. <laughs> yeah, well, Zack Snyder's nothing if not deadly serious about everything. So uh, he's been trying to do these like really. Uh, sort of intense reimaginings of Superman and Batman, these characters that we know and love, but let's do like a really, and you could even say that Christopher Nolan did the same thing with Batman. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, he took what was kind of a fun, goofy character and turned him into this like really serious, uh, you know, character study about a man sort of driven mad by his own obsessions. Right. And, uh, and so it's certainly, and vogue to do this kind of thing. But uh, I really enjoyed the film for the most part. Uh, now, part of this may be because of my nostalgic attachment to Wolverine and nostalgic sure. attachment to the X-Men. Uh, but I actually thought that the film, for the most part, and especially in the moments when it wasn't just you know furious action, I actually thought that it really held uh, a story together really well. I thought it was a much more interesting character study of uh, these superheroes in such a frail state. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the idea that uh, that Professor X, the as they say in the film, the world's most dangerous mind, uh, is slipping into dementia and Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Uh, what could be more dangerous than that? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I well, like yeah, that. Literally, I mean, it has physical consequences for everybody in the film when he doesn't take his medicine. Yeah, very, very serious ones. And, and, Logan is trying to be his his caretaker in essence, and he's he's falling apart too because of course he had all this adamantium placed into his body as part of the Weapon X program, and it's slowly been poisoning his body. So now he's sort of slowly dying as a result of, you know, I mean that's part of what always made Wolverine such a cool superhero was that he wasn't born this way; he was made into a superhero against his will. Um, kind of like uh, Deadpool, who kinda, uh, opens like this film. Well, opens yeah, who opens this film with a very goofy uh, bit. Uh, <laughs> there's an extended version of online that I saw first before I saw this film. And so when I saw oh, really? it, and it was actually cut a little bit, I found it very strange. Uh, 
Um, but the, uh, I mean, this is an R-rated film. This is the second of the Marvel R-rated films, Deadpool being the first one. Right. And I think that it's allowed them a certain amount of creative freedom to be a little bit more serious and a little bit less. I mean, like you, you've heard me talk about all these superhero movies and how I hate the fact that every other line is somebody making a joke at somebody else's, you know, oh, yeah. a, a quip or like some witty comeback. That's everything. This is not, this is not the Avengers. This is not the Avengers. And I really liked it for that because I felt like it was a more interesting film as a result. I felt like it had more to say about its characters and their relationship to the the world that they were living in. And uh, it just, it just had a really excellent kind of uh, feel to it. Uh, and, and, it felt more like an interesting character study than, than previous films. It felt even previous X-Men films like days of future past, which I really loved, but is definitely more an ensemble piece. You know, you're, you're dealing with the entire, the entirety of the X-Men. And in this film, you're just dealing with basically two X-Men and then some new mutants. Uh, and I, I just really liked that. I thought that it, I thought that it worked to the benefit of the film. I thought that it worked to the benefit of the franchise. I thought that it worked to the benefit of, my weariness with regards to superhero movies. I wonder if it has something to do with that. This is a 20th century Fox movie, just like Deadpool was. I wonder about that because 20th century Fox still had the, the opening, uh, you know, it opened with the 20th century Fox, the famous, uh, because this is like, this is the second Marvel film to be rated R. And the, the other one was Deadpool, which was also very violent and, and I just wonder if, if they're twentieth century Fox is kind of being the this, the ones that are getting farmed out to make these more grown up Marvel movies. Well, the, the here's what happened is that twentieth century Fox owned the rights to X Men. They made all of the previous X Men movies, mm-hmm. all of them independently of Marvel, completely independently, because they had the rights. They could do what they want in the same way that Sony made all of the Spider Man movies and kept mm-hmm. making them so that they could hold on to the rights, yeah. uh, which is obnoxious. So I don't know the details of the deal that they struck, but it sounds to me like they probably struck a deal with uh, Marvel, where Marvel basically had creative control over it, but they still released it under the 20th Century Fox header. Because doesn't Disney own Marvel now? Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. But Disney doesn't own 20th Century Fox. Do no, they? they do not. They yeah. are competitors. And so they have to have come to some sort of agreement in the same way that next year, or maybe this year, maybe later this year, we are going to see the new Spider-Man movie, which is the rights to that have also reverted to Marvel, mostly mm-hmm. because Marvel's been shaming the other companies with the quality of their superhero movies, while the other companies are just making terrible superhero movies for the mm-hmm. most part. Um Right, and when you say shaming, it's all relative. It is relative, it- yes. <laughs> because I, like, let's say they've been shaming them at the box office at the very least. That's uh, true, yeah, no argument there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I don't doubt that this was a, a faithful rendition of, of the original story, the original comics. Um, I, I found it to be... Uh, bit of a slog to get through <laughs> you're not you're not the only person that i've heard say that 
I've heard yeah, a few people say it's that. It's a it's a long hard road to get yeah. through. Um, yeah. And, but I can respect that it's a, an elegy of sorts to the to the Logan character who was hugely popular and also very prolific in superhero movies. Yeah, I think he made and, seven movies. Hugh Jackman made seven movies with Logan in them. Yeah. Um, I was kind of uh, intrigued by the connection to the movie Shane. Yeah, that was... Uh, I figured that had to be like a James Mangold touch. Don't you feel like that? I don't I, know, maybe I, not. I felt the same way. Um, I mean, James Mangold wrote the screenplay with, with two other people. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that must have been he's working in one of his favorite childhood movies because he feels like it's relevant to the story. Yeah. <laughs> but Yeah, yeah it, but it was very interesting. I, I thought that it was... Uh, I mean, the, the parallels are a little forced, maybe. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, at the end of Shane, Shane leaves. <laughs> Shane walks away. Yeah. That's not what happens at the end of this. <laughs> yeah, and it's... Uh, yeah, so it's a little, it's a little like, well, that's an interesting thing, uh, but it's, I, I don't, I don't feel like it was like a solid thread throughout the film, uh, right. solid parallels. But yeah, I, I liked James Mangold's direction as I tend to do. I think he makes very good films for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, Walk the Line, of course, he did, which was excellent. Right. Um, as we said, Copland, which is one of my. Uh, favorite under loved movies out there mm-hmm. um, and, and I think that it was it's his influence that probably made this as good a character study as it was for me uh, mm-hmm. it probably works better for somebody like me who is obsessed or was obsessed at one point in time with this character and you know in particular um, it should should also be said that James Mangold also directed uh, The Wolverine from 2013 with Hugh Jackman. Yeah, that's true, yeah, which was yeah. a bit of a flop. It, yeah, um, it doesn't have a great rating on IMDb. Yeah, yeah, so maybe this was his uh, mea culpa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought that the supporting characters were all, all pretty good. It was interesting. We had Stephen Merchant playing Caliban uh, mm-hmm. in the film, which was fun, I thought. Uh, even if he was a bit morose. Uh, of course, Patrick Stewart playing Professor X. He said this is going to be his last film as well. Uh, as Professor X, right? Yes, as Professor X. Yeah, not last right. film, period. Uh, and we had a number of other uh, supporting characters that were very good. Good young actors, I thought. Um, mm-hmm. I thought they turned in good performances. Uh, but in the, at the end of the day, this is still a comic book movie, and it feels a lot like a comic book movie. Uh, you know, sort of, it's sort of an, the escort mission brand of comic book movie. With uh, perhaps more than a little bit of political subtext. Yeah, quite a bit of political subtext. I, yeah, <laughs> there is. Got to get the, got to get those dreamers to the border. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and to think this was in pre-production long before the current uh, political, you know. Right insanity happened but it just happens that it has a very very poignant uh subtext as a result of that mm-hmm. uh overall i i found it very enjoyable i thought that it was uh a fun interesting twist on this character and the 
the legacy of not just Wolverine, but of Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I thought it, it was a it was a good, interesting take. Um, and as I said, I there there were a couple moments where I teared up a little bit there towards the uh, end. Towards the end. Yeah, yeah. I thought Could that it you... was. Yeah. Could you ever imagine yourself watching this again? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm probably not going to go out of my way to watch it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I could imagine myself being like, oh, Logan's on. I'll watch that. <laughs> okay, uh, fair enough. Uh, I, I thought it was all right. Um, I yeah. wasn't blown away by it, but it was, it was, uh, it didn't insult my intelligence. I'll put it that way. I yeah. thought it was, uh, it was a pretty... Pretty, pretty with it in that department, um, and I enjoyed Stephen Merchant's supporting turn, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I thought it was, it was it was all right. I mean, I wasn't expecting great things, and they delivered. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, that's one way to put it. Yeah, I think, I do think that it's interesting to see the the difference in tone and everything that that an R rating makes for these folks both in in two different ways looking at Deadpool and looking at this movie they can go in two different directions and make like a hard R movie mm-hmm. um, and I've enjoyed both of these more so than I've enjoyed the kind of very chaste PG-13 films that they've been making I feel you on that one I think Deadpool is probably the Marvel film that I like the most next to Guardians of the Galaxy which I know you didn't like <laughs> yeah not a fan but I, I am look, I'm definitely going to see the sequel when it's Guardians of the Galaxy 2 comes coming out coming real soon <laughs> right um, well that's our show about Logan the swan song for Wolverine in movies until they bring him back in a few years for a reboot with a different actor <laughs> no I'm just kidding <laughs> yeah well it'll uh, happen am I? Uh, but stay tuned for our next episode which is going to be another listener's choice we're actually going to do the documentary I Am Not Your Negro uh, about James Baldwin uh, which was nominated for an Oscar we're going to have Eric back on the program to discuss that one with us and we will catch you then 